This is the 15th chapter of Percy Jackson in the Olympians, The Titan's Curse. I wrestle Santa's evil twin. Tell me when it's over, Talia said. Her eyes were shut tight. The statue was holding onto us so we wouldn't fall. But still, Talia clutched his arm like it was the most important thing in the world. Everything's fine, I promised. Are, are, are we very high? I looked down below. There was a range of snowy mountains that zipped by. I stretched out my foot and kicked snow off of one of the peaks. Nah, I said, not that high. We're in the Sierras, Zoe yelled. She and Grover were hanging from the arms of the other statue. I have hunted here before. At this speed, we should be in San Francisco in a few hours. Hey, hey, Frisco, our angel said. Yo, Chuck, we could go visit those guys at Mechanics Monument again. They know how to party. Oh, man, the other angel said. I am so there. You guys have visited San Francisco, I asked. We're automatons. Gotta have some fun once in a while, right? Our statue said. Those mechanics took us over to the Young Museum and introduced us to those marble lady statues, you see? And Hank, the other statue Chuck cut in. They're kids, man. Oh, right. If bronze statues could blush, I swear Hank did. Back to flying. We sped up so I could see the angels were excited. The mountains flew away into hills, and then we were zipping along over farmland and towns and highways. Grover played his pipes to pass the time. Zoe got bored and started shooting arrows at random billboards as we flew by. Every time she saw a Target department store, and we passed dozens of them, she would peg the store signs with a few bullseyes at 100 miles an hour. Talia kept her eyes closed the whole way. She muttered to herself a lot. Like she was praying. You did good back there, I told her. Zeus listened. It was hard to tell what she was thinking with her eyes closed. Maybe, she said. How did you get away from those skeletons in the generator room? Anyway, you said they cornered you. I told her about the weird mortal girl, Rachel Elizabeth Dare, who seemed to be able to see right through the mist. I thought Talia was going to call me crazy, but she just nodded. Some mortals are like that, she said. Nobody knows why. Suddenly, I flashed on something I never considered. My mom was like that. She'd seen the Minotaur on Half-Blood Hill and known exactly what it was. She hadn't been surprised at all last year when I told her my best friend Tyson was really a cyclops. Maybe she'd known all along. No wonder she'd been so scared for me growing up. She saw through the mist even better than I did. Well, the girl was annoying, I said, but I'm glad I didn't vaporize her. That would have been bad. Talia nodded. Must be nice to be a regular mortal. She said that as if she'd given that a lot of thought. Where do you guys want to land? Hank asked, waking me up from a nap. I looked down and said, whoa. I'd seen San Francisco in pictures before, but never in real life. It's probably the most beautiful city I've ever seen. Kind of like a smaller, cleaner Manhattan. If Manhattan had been surrounded by green hills and fog. There was a huge bay and ships, islands and sailboats, and the Golden Gate Bridge sticking up out of the fog. I felt like I could take a picture or something. Greetings from Frisco. Haven't died yet. Wish you were here. There, Zoe suggested, by the Imbasado building. Good thinking, Chuck said. Me and Hank can blend in with the pigeons. We all looked at him. Kidding, he said. Sheesh, can't statues have a sense of humor? As it turned out, there wasn't much need to blend in. It was early morning and not many people were around. We freaked out a homeless guy on the ferry dock when we landed. He screamed when he saw Hank and Chuck and ran off yelling something about metal angels from Mars. 
We said our goodbyes to the angels who flew off to a party with their statue friends. That's when I realized I had no idea what we were going to do next. We had made it to the West Coast. Hooray! Artemis was here somewhere. Annabeth, too. I hoped, but I had no idea how to find them. And tomorrow was the winter solstice. Nor did I have any clue what monster Artemis had been hunting. It was supposed to find us on the quest. It was not supposed to show the trail, but it never had. We were now stuck on the ferry dock with not much money, no friends, and no luck. After a brief discussion, we agreed that we needed to figure out just what this mystery monster was. But how? I asked. Nurus, Grover said. I looked at him. What? Isn't that what Apollo told you to do? Find Nurus? I nodded. I'd completely forgotten about my last conversation with the sun god. The old man of the sea, I remembered. I'm supposed to find him and force him to tell us what he knows. But how do I find him? Zoe made a face. Old Nurus, huh? You know him? Talia asked. My mother was a sea goddess. Yes, I know him. Unfortunately, he's never very hard to find. Just follow the smell. What do you mean? I asked. Come, she said without enthusiasm. I will show thee. I knew I was in trouble when we stopped at the Goodwill drop box. Five minutes later, Zoe had outfitted me in a ragged flannel shirt and jeans, three sizes too big, bright red sneakers, and a floppy rainbow hat. Oh yeah, Grover said, trying not to bust out laughing. You look completely inconspicuous now. Zoe nodded with satisfaction. A typical male vagrant. Thanks a lot, I grumbled. Why am I doing this again? I told thee to blend in. She led the way back to, to the waterfront. After a long time searching the docks, Zoe finally stopped in her tracks. She pointed down up here where a bunch of homeless guys were huddled together in blankets, waiting for the soup kitchen to open for lunch. He will be down there somewhere, Zoe said. He never travels far from the water. He likes to sun himself during the day. How do I know which one is him? Sneak up, she said. Act homeless. You will know him. He will smell different. Great. I didn't want to ask for particulars. And once I find him, grab him, she said, and hold him. He will try anything to get rid of thee. Whatever he does, do not let go. Force him to tell thee about the monster. We've got your back, Talia said, who picked something off the back of my shirt. A big clump of fuzz that came from who knows where. Ew. On second thought, I don't want your back. We'll be rooting for you, though. Grover gave me a big thumbs up. I grumbled about how nice it was to have super powerful friends. Then I headed towards the dock. I pulled my hat down and stumbled like I was about to pass out, which wasn't that hard considering of how tired I was. I passed our homeless friend from the Imbrador, who was still trying to warn the other guys about the metal angels from Mars. He didn't smell good, but he didn't smell different. I kept walking. A couple of grimy dudes with plastic grocery bags for hats checked me out as I came close. Beat it, kid, one of them muttered. I moved away. They smelled pretty bad, but just the regular old bad. Nothing unusual. There was a lady with a bunch of plastic flamingos sticking out of a shopping cart. She glared at me like I was going to steal her birds. At the end of the pier, a guy who looked about a million years old was passed out in a patch of sunlight. He wore pajamas and a fuzzy bathrobe that probably used to be white. He was fat with a big white beard that had turned yellow. Kind of like Santa Claus. If Santa had been rolled out of bread and dragged through a landfill. And his smell? As I got closer, I froze. He smelled bad, alright, but 
ocean bad. Like hot seaweed and dead fish and brine. If the ocean had an ugly side, this guy was the definition of that. I tried not to gag as I sat down near him like I was tired. Santa opened one eye suspiciously. I could feel him staring at me, but I didn't look. I muttered something about stupid school and stupid parents, figuring that that might sound reasonable. Santa Claus went back to sleep. I tensed. I know that this was going to look strange. I didn't know how the other homeless people would react, but I jumped Santa Claus. Ah! He screamed. I meant to grab him, but he seemed to grab me instead. It was as if he'd never been asleep at all. He certainly didn't act like a weak old man. He had a grip like steel. Help me! He screamed as he squeezed me to death. That's a crime! One of the other homeless guys yelled. Kid rolling an old man like that? I rolled, all right, straight down the pier until my head slammed into a post. I was dazed for a second, and Eris's grip slackened. He was making a break for it. Before he could, I regained my senses and tackled him from behind. I don't have any money! He tried to get up and run, but I locked my arms around his chest. His rotten fish smell was awful, but I held on. I don't want money, I said as I fought. I'm a half-blood. I want information. That just made him struggle harder. Heroes, why do you always pick on me? because you know everything. He growled and tried to shake me off his back. It was like holding on to a roller coaster. He thrashed around, making it impossible for me to keep my feet, but I gritted my teeth and squeezed tighter. We staggered towards the edge of the pier and I got an idea. Oh no, I said, not the water. The plan worked. Immediately, Nurse yelled in triumph and jumped off the edge. Together, we plunged into the San Francisco Bay. He must have been surprised when I tightened my grip, the ocean filling me with extra strength. But Nuris had a few tricks left too. He changed shape until I was holding a slick black seal. I heard people make jokes about trying to hold a greased pig, but I am telling you, holding onto a seal in the water is so much more harder. Nuris plunged straight down, wriggling and thrashing and spiraling through the dark water. If I hadn't been Poseidon's son, there was no way I could have stayed with him. Nuris spun and expanded, turning into a killer whale, but I grabbed his dorsal fin as he burst out of the water. A whole bunch of tourists went, whoa. I managed to wave at the crowd. Yeah, this is what we do here every day in San Francisco. Nuris plunged into the water and turned into a slimy eel. I started to tie him into a knot until he realized what I was going for and changed back into human form. Why won't you drown? He wailed, plumbling me with his fists. I'm Poseidon's son, I said. Curse that upstart. I was here first. Finally, he collapsed on the edge of the boat dock. Above us was one of those tourist piers lined with shops, like mall on water. Nurse was heaving and gasping. I was feeling great. I could have gone on all day, but I didn't want to tell him that. I wanted him to feel like he'd put up a good fight. My friends ran down the steps from the pier. You got him, Zoe said. You don't have to sound so amazed, I said. Norris moaned. Oh, wonderful, an audience for my humiliation. The normal deal, I suppose? You let me go if I answer your question? I've got more than one question, I said. Only one question per capture. That's the rule. I looked at my friends. This wasn't good. I needed to find Artemis, and I needed to figure out what the doomsday creature was. I also needed to know if Annabeth was still alive, and how to rescue her. How could I ask all that in one question? The voice inside me was screaming, Ask about Annabeth! That's what I cared about most. But then I imagined what Annabeth might say. 
She would never forgive me if I saved her and didn't save Olympus. Zoe would want me to ask about Artemis, but Chiron told us the monster was even more important. I sighed. All right, Nurus. Tell me where to find this terrible monster that could bring the ends to the gods. The one that Artemis was hunting. The old man of the sea smiled, showing off his mossy green teeth. Oh, that's easy, he said evilly. He's right here. Nurus pointed to the feet at my water. Where, I said. The deal is complete, Nurus groaned. With a pop, he turned into a goldfish and did a backflip into the sea. You tricked me, I yelled. Wait, Talia's eyes widened. What is that? Moo! I looked down, and there was my friend, the cow serpent, swimming next to the dock. She nudged my shoe and gave me sad brown eyes. Ah, Bessie, uh, I said. Not now. Moo! Gover gasped. He said his name isn't Bessie. You can understand her, or, I mean, him? Gover nodded. It is a very old form of animal speech, but he says his name is Ophesterus. The O-what? It means serpent bull in Greek, Talia said. But what is it doing here? Moo! He says Perseus is protector, Grover announced, and he's running from the bad people. He says that they are close. I wondered how he got all that out of a single moo. Wait, Zoe said, looking at me. You know this cow. I was feeling impatient, but I told him the story. Talia shook her head in disbelief. And you forgot to mention this before? Well, yeah. It seems silly now that she said it, but things have been happening so fast. Bessie, the Ophitaurus, seemed like a minor detail. I am a fool, Zoe said suddenly. I know this story. What? story from the war of the titans she said my my father told me this tale thousands of years ago this is the beast they were looking for bessie i looked down at the bull serpent but he's too cute he couldn't destroy the world that's how we were wrong zoe said we had been anticipating a huge dangerous monster but the ophitaurus does not bring down the gods that way he must be sacrificed. Mmm, Bessie lowed. I don't think he likes the S-word, Grover said. I patted Bessie on the head, trying to calm him down. He let me scratch his ear, but he was trembling. How could anyone hurt him, I said. He's harmless. Zoe nodded. But there's a power in killing innocence. Terrible power. The fates untained a prophecy eons ago when this creature was born they said that whoever killed the ophitaurus and sacrificed its entrails to fire would have the power to destroy the gods um grover said maybe we could avoid talking about entrails too talia started stared at this cow serpent with wonder the power to destroy the gods how i mean what would happen no one knows, Zoe said. The first time during the Titan War, the Ophitaurus was in fact slain by a giant ally of the Titans. But thy father, Zeus, sent an eagle to snatch the entrails away before they could be tossed into the fire. It was a close call. Now, after 3,000 years, the Ophitaurus is reborn. Talia sat down on the dock. She stretched out her hand. Bessie went right to her. Talia placed her hand on his head. Bessie shivered. Talia's expression bothered me. She almost looked hungry. We have to protect him, I told her. If Luke gets a hold of him, Luke would not hesitate. 
Talia murdered, the power to overthrow Olympus, that's, th that's huge. Yes, it is, my dear, a man's voice in a heavy French accent, and it is the power you shall unleash. The Ophatorus made a whimpering sound and submerged. I looked up. We had been so busy talking, we allowed ourselves to be ambushed. Standing right behind us, his two colored eyes gleaming wickedly, was Dr. Thorne, the manticore himself. This is just perfect, the manticore gloated. He was wearing a ratty black trench coat over his West Overhaul uniform, which was torn and stained. His military haircut had grown out spiky and greasy. He hadn't shaved recently, so his face was covered in a silver stubble. Basically, he didn't look much better than the guy down at the soup kitchen. Long ago, the gods banished me to Persia, the manticore said. I was forced to scourge for food on the edges of the world, hiding in force, devouring insignificant human farmers for my meals. I never got to fight any real heroes. I was not feared and admired in the old stories. But now that will change. The titans shall honor me, and I shall feast on the flesh of half-bloods. On either side of him stood two armed security guards with some mortal mercenaries I'd seen in D.C. Two more stood on the next boat dock over, just in case we tried to escape that way. There were tourists all around, walking down the waterfront, shopping at the pier above us, but I knew they wouldn't stop the manticore from acting. Where, where are the skeletons? I asked the manticore. He sneered. I do not need those foolish undead. The general thinks I am worthless. He will change his mind when I defeat you myself. I need a time to think. I had to save Bessie. I could dive into the sea, but how could I make a quick getaway with 500-pound cow serpent? And what about my friends? I beat you once before. Ha! You could barely fight me with a goddess on your side. And, alas, that goddess is preoccupied at the moment. There will be no help for you now. Zoe knocked an arrow and aimed straight at the manticore's head. The guards on either side raised their guns. Wait, I said. Zoe, don't. The manticore smiled. This boy is right, Zoe Nightshade. Put away your bow. It would be a shame to kill you before you witnessed Talia's great victory. What are you talking about? Talia growled. She had her shield and spear ready. Surely it is clear, the manticore said. This is your moment. This is why Lord Kronos brought you back to life. You will sacrifice the Ophatoris, and you will bring its entrails to the sacrificed spire on the mountain. You will gain unlimited power, and for your 16th birthday, you will overthrow Olympus. No one spoke. It made terrible sense. Talia was only two days away from turning 16. She was a child of the big three, and here was a choice, a terrible choice, that could mean the end of the gods. It was just like the prophecy said. I wasn't sure if I had felt relieved, horrified, or disappointed. I wasn't the kid in the prophecy after all. Doomsday was happening right now. I waited for Talia to tell the manticore off, but she hesitated. She looked completely stunned. You know it is the right choice, the manticore told her. Your friend Luke recognized it. You shall be reunited with him. You shall rule this world together under the auspicious of the Titans. Your father abandoned you, Talia. He cares nothing for you. And now you shall gain power over him. Crush the Olympians underfoot as they deserve. Call the beast. It will come to you. Use your spear. Talia, I said, snap out of it. She looked at me the same way she had in the morning she woke up on Half-Blood Hill, dazed and uncertain. It was almost like she didn't know me. I, 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 I don't. 
Your father helped you, I said. He sent the metal angels. He turned you into a tree to save you. Her hand tightened on the shaft of her spear. I looked at Grover desperately. Thank the gods he understood what I needed. He raised his pipes to his mouth and played a quick rift. The manticore yelled, stop him. The gods had been targeting Zoe. And before they could figure out what the kid with the pipe was doing, that was the bigger problem. The wooden planks at their feet sprouted new branches and tangled their feet. Zoe let loose two quick arrows that exploded at their feet in clouds of sulfurous yellow smoke. Fart arrows. The guards started coughing. The manticore shot spines in our direction, but they ricocheted off my lion's coat. Grover, I said, tell Bessie to dive deep down and stay there. Moo! Grover translated. I could only hope that Bessie had got the message. The, the cow, Talia muttered, still in daze. Come on. I pulled her along as we ran up the stairs to the shopping center on the pier. We dashed around the corner of the nearest store. I heard the manticore shouting at his minions. Get them! The Taurus screamed as the guards shot blindly into the air. We scrambled to the end of the pier. We hid behind a little koskik filled with souvenir crystals, wind chimes and dream catchers and stuff like that glittering in the sun. There was a water fountain next to us. Down below, a bunch of sea lions were sunning themselves on rocks. The whole of San Francisco Bay spread out before us. The Golden Gate Bridge, Alcatraz Island, the green hills and fog beyond that to the north. A picture-perfect moment. Except for the fact that we were about to die and the world was going to end. Over over the side, Zoe told me. You can escape in the sea, pussy. Call on thy father for help. Maybe you can save the Ophatoris. She was right, but I couldn't do it. I won't leave you guys, I said. We fight together. You have to get word to the camp, Grover said. At least let them know what's going on. Then I noticed the crystals making rainbow in the sunlight. There was a drinking fountain next to me. Get word to the camp, I muttered. Good idea. I uncapped Riptide and slashed off the top of the water fountain. Water burst out of the busted pipe and sprayed all over us. Talia gasped as the water hit her. The fog seemed to clear from her eyes. Are you crazy? She asked. But Grover understood. He was already fishing around his pockets for a coin. He threw a gold drachma into the rainbow that was created by the mist and yelled, Oh, goddess, accept my offering. The mist rippled. Camp Half-Blood, I said. And there, shimmering in the mist, right next to us, was the last person I wanted to see. Mr. D, wearing his leopard skin jogging suit and rummaging through the refrigerator. He looked up lazily. Do you mind? Where's Chiron? I shouted. How rude! Mr. D took a swig from a jug of grape juice. Is that how you say hello? Hello, I amended. We're about to die. Where's Chiron? Mr. D considered that. I wanted to scream at him to hurry up, but I knew that wouldn't work. Behind us, footsteps and shouting. The Manticore's troops were closing in. About to die, Mr. D mused. How exciting. I'm afraid Chiron is not here. Would you like me to take a message? I looked at my friends. We're dead. Talia gripped her spear. She looked like her old angry self again. Then we will die fighting. How noble, Mr. D said, stifling a yawn. So what is the problem exactly? I didn't see that it would make any difference, but I told him about the Opatoris. Hmm. He studied the con contents of the fridge. So that's it, I see. You don't even care, I screamed. You're just gonna stand there and let watch us die? Let's see. I'm thinking I'm in a mood for pizza tonight. I wanted to slash through the rainbow and disconnect, but I didn't have time. The manticore screamed, there, and we were surrounded. 
Two of the guards stood behind him. The other two appeared on the roofs of the pier shops above us. The manticore threw off his coat and transformed into his true self. His lion claws extended and his spiky tail bristled with poison barbs. Excellent, he said, glancing at the apparition in the mist and snorted. Alone without any real help. Wonderful. You could ask for help, Mr. Dean murmured to me, as if this were amusing thought. You could say, please. When wild boars fly, I thought, there was no way I was going to die begging like a slob to Mr. D, so he could just laugh about it as we all got gunned down. Zoe readied her arrows. Grover lifted his pipes. Talia raised her shield, and I noticed a tear running down her cheek. Suddenly it occurred to me, this had happened to her before. She had been cornered on Half-Blood Hill. She willingly gave up her life for her friends, but this time she couldn't save us. How could I let this happen to her? Please, Mr. D, I muttered, help. Of course, nothing happened. The manticore grinned. Spare the daughter of Zeus. She'll join us soon enough. Kill the others. The men raised their guns, and something strange happened. You know how you feel when all the blood rushes to your head? Like, if you hang upside down and then turn right side up too quickly? There was a rush like that all around me, and the sound of a huge sigh. The sunlight tinged with purple. I smelled grapes, and something more sour. Like, wine. Snap! It was the sound of many minds breaking at the same time. The sound of madness. One guard put his pistol between his teeth like a bone and ran around on all fours. Two others dropped their guns and started waltzing with each other. The fours began doing what looked like an Irish clogging dance. It would have been funny if it hadn't been so terrifying. No! screamed the manticore. I will deal with you myself. His tail bristled. But the planks under his paws erupted into grapevines, which immediately began wrapping around the monster's body, sprouting new leaves and clusters of green baby grapes that ripened in seconds as the manticore shrieked, until he was engulfed in a huge mass of vines, leaves, and clusters of purple grapes. Finally, the grapes stopped shivering, and I had a feeling that somewhere inside there, the manticore was no more. Well, said Dionysus, closing his refrigerator, that was fun. I stared at him, horrified. How How could you? How, how did you? Such gratitude, he muttered. The mortals will come out of it. Too much explaining to do if I made their condition permanent. I hate writing reports to father. He stared resentfully at Talia. I hope you learned your lesson, girl. It isn't easy to resist power, is it? Talia blushed as if she was ashamed. Mr. D, Grover said in amazement, you, you saved us. Mm, don't make me regret it, Sater. Now get going, Percy Jackson. I've bought you a few hours at most. The Opatoris, I told him. Can you get it to camp? Mr. D sniffled. I do not transport livestock. That is your problem. But where do we go? Dionysus looked at Zoe. Oh, I think the Huntress knows. You must enter at sunset today, you know. Or all is lost. Now goodbye. My pizza is waiting. Mr. D, I said. He raised his eyebrows. You called me my right name, I said. You called me Percy Jackson. I most certainly did not, Peter Johnson. Now off with you. He waved his hands, and his image disappeared into the mist. 
All around us, the Manticore's minions were still acting completely nuts. One of them had found our friend, the homeless guy, and they were having a serious conversation about metal angels from Mars. Several other guards were harassing the tourists, making animal noises, and trying to steal their shoes. I looked at Zoe. What did he mean? You know where to go. Her face was the color of the fog. She pointed across the bay, past the Golden Gate. In the distance, a single mountain rose up above the cloud layer. The garden of my sisters, she said. I must go home.